You know, we've been paying so much attention to the Chinese flu, or as I like to call it, the stinking Chinese flu, or just the stinking Chinese for short. But just because those communist Wuhanian bat eaters have destroyed the economy and chased everyone indoors, that's no reason we can't pause now and then and take a look at the other important news that's happening while we shelter in place. For instance, I have kind of a boil on my right side, just under my belt line. That's been bothering me. And there's a spider in the top right corner of my living room who's been spinning this elaborate web all day. I sort of feel like I should get a stepladder and a broom and kill the thing. On the other hand, it's something to look at. And if I kill him, I'll be stuck watching the Stephen Colbert show, which is like watching paint dry, which was actually kind of entertaining for the first three hours or so. But after that, it was like watching Stephen Colbert. On the international scene, I got a letter from Poland yesterday, but it was actually delivered to the wrong address. And when I tried to read it, it just to just to pass the time, It turned out to be in some kind of foreign language, which I guess is what they speak in Poland for some reason. In financial news, I can't find the four dollars and quarters I've been carrying around ever since I was forced to pay the parking garage machine in cash and got all those quarters for change. Early reports of the change may have fallen out of my pocket when I was lying on the couch watching the spider. I'll have to get my wife to look under the cushions when she comes home. So that's the roundup of the other news not related to the stinking Chinese flu. We'll keep you up to date on the latest developments, like if I go outside or something. And that seems unlikely. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Claven, and this is The Andrew Claven Show. I feel hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are ringing, also singing, hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped, tipsy-topsy, the world is a bitty zing. It's a wonderful day, hooray, hooray, it makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray. Oh, hooray, hurrah. So we all know the left would like to see the coronavirus destroy President Trump. And we know that they'd like to use the crisis to blow up the size and power of government. So all of us icky, ordinary people don't keep running around with all that freedom they hate so much. There are a couple of things that I'd like to see come out of this crisis, things that I already knew were bad but that look much worse to me now. For, for instance, I hope this will bring about the complete and final destruction of the idea of open borders and unrestricted immigration. Canada is closing its borders, Germany too, they should, and they should keep them closed. And we should do the same. Trump was right about this, and I took it less seriously than I should have. If a nation doesn't have control of its borders, it's not a nation. But more than that, communities are fragile things. They're formed over slow time. I'm proud to live in a country where people of different races can all become Americans together. That's great. But it's complete insanity to think you could just throw huge shovels full of new people in and make them Americans instantaneously. Controlled immigration that slowly brings in people the country needs and allows time for the difficult business of assimilation is the only way our great experiment in multi-ethnic community can work. The left may say that's bigoted or intolerant, but my feeling about that is screw them. How much more bigoted and intolerant would it be to recklessly destroy the delicate ecosystem that has allowed us to become the multiracial nation we, and we alone, are? So that's one thing that's been exposed by this disease. And another thing that couldn't possibly be worse than I thought it was, but almost is, is the news business. 
It has got to be reformed. It's disgustingly corrupt. Yesterday, again and again, and I'll cover some of this, in a small, miserable effort to paint Trump and other Republicans as racist, reporter after reporter asked officials whether it was wrong to call the Chinese flu the Chinese flu. Jim, look at me, I'm Jim Acosta, just tweeted, he did it again, Trump called it the Chinese flu again. How much Kool-Aid do you have to drink before you think that matters to anyone, anywhere. It matters to nobody. People are sick. People are afraid. People are hurting financially. You can't think of any other question you might want to ask an official in the limited time you have with him besides that. Some, let's just say some question that would increase our store of information instead of dig at Trump and make you look virtuous when in fact you are low enough to walk under a snake with a top hat on. And finally, finally, we need new ideas on the left and the right. The virus has exposed that too. On the right, we have to start talking about fiscal responsibility or we're not going to be able to deal with these emergencies in the future. It's ridiculous. I know Trump doesn't like it. I know he loves the debt. The debt is not a good thing and it's out of control. And on the left, Guess what? It's time to accept the failure of socialism. It's been 40 years. Say you're sorry. Say oops and move on. I was watching Biden and Bernie yesterday. I got to tell you, I am genuinely baffled that anyone with any sense of responsibility at all could vote for either of those two old fools. One is a wannabe tyrant touting unworkable ideas and the other one's a stone idiot. And I'm not even sure which one is which. Emergencies are a good time to reassess come up with fresh insights, and develop a reinvigorated sense of responsibility toward the future. I'd like to see that happen at the borders, in the news, and in our political thinking left and right. Listen, we can always hope. All right, we're going to talk about that and a lot of stuff. We're going to talk about some different ideas. But first, let's talk about LegalZoom. I love LegalZoom. Have you ever tried this thing? This is really, you know, obviously they're giving us a, a break on taxes and when we have to pay our taxes. But taxes are still going to be around even during this uh, emergency. So you want to make sure you get those things right and save money while you're at it. That's why you should lean on LegalZoom. LLCs, DBAs, S-Corps, they all mean different things when it comes to paying taxes and limiting your personal liability. There's a lot to think about. But with LegalZoom, you don't have to worry about doing all the legwork yourself to find the right answers. They have a ton of resources to help, including their network of independent attorneys and tax professionals. They'll provide the advice you need to ensure you're operating your business the way you want to. And since LegalZoom isn't a law firm, you'll save time and money while avoiding hourly fees. Whether you need to incorporate, form an LLC, or set up your business another way, use LegalZoom to maximize your business's potential and make your accountant happy. And if you haven't ever gone on there. It's an incredibly easy website to use. Go to LegalZoom.com today to get your business on the right track for 2020. LegalZoom, where life meets legal. So yesterday, I took a hike and in the local canyon. I had been indoors for three days and I needed to get some exercise. And I was absolutely appalled at the number of young people out there. I thought it was going to be empty. I was sorry I went. I, I thought it was going to be empty. I got there. A lot of young people still out there hugging each other and pretending to bump elbows and then hugging. Oh, we're not going to do that. We're going to hug each other because that's how stupid we are. You know, there was a report from the CDC yesterday that found that as in other countries, the oldest, the oldest patients had the greatest likelihood of dying from this thing. But of the 508 patients known to 
who have been hospitalized, 38% were notably younger, between 20 and 54. This is affecting everybody, obviously, and I've, I keep trying to tell you, it's part of the social contract. You don't want to kill somebody else's grandmother because you don't want somebody else to kill your grandmother. So here is spring break. They're crowding the beaches in Miami. Here's some interviews with some of these people. who cut five. Corona, I get Corona. At the end of the day, I'm not going to let it stop me from partying. You know, I've been waiting. We've been waiting for Miami spring break for a while. About two months we've had this trip planned. Two, three months. So we're just out here having a good time. Whatever happens, happens. Like, it's really messing up with my spring break. What is there to do here other than go to the bars or the beach and they're closing all of it? It's really messing up. I think they're blowing it way out of proportion. I think it's doing way too much. Doing us bad. We need a refund. This virus ain't that serious. It's serious. It's more serious things out there like hunger and poverty and we need to address yes, that. Yeah, I mean we planned this a long time ago and it was kind of up in the air if we still go, but like we're here, I just turned 21 this year so I'm here to party so it's kind of disappointing, but we're just making the most of it. We met these other people in our little Airbnb spot so we're just hanging out with them and trying to get drunk before everything closes. I mean it sucks but we're going to make the best of it. We're enjoying ourselves. So I gotta say, what I especially love are the guys going, yeah, you know, we, we got a bad party because uh, this is much, they're t- taking this too seriously. Because of, because of the, their medical training, obviously. I mean, it's because of their schooling and their education. And these are the same guys. These are the guys who are going, yeah, Bernie, communism sounds good. What a good thing that is. These are the same guys. You know, you know, like, guys, you know, you have to use some common sense. You, you remember the whole point is keeping me alive. We've got to save the Claven because other people can die. The economy can crash. You lose me. There is no getting me back again. It's got to be your first thing on your mind. All right. Listen, let's talk about some of the things that this is revealing. And I'm going to start with the press. I know the press is a hobby horse of mine, but I think the press, the fact that it is one-sided and the fact that the entertainment business is one-sided and the fact that all the comedians are on one side, I think that that stokes division. It stokes cruelty. It dehumanizes the other side. It makes people think there is no other side. That's what it's intended to do. It's intended to make you feel, it's intended to make you feel that nobody else and none of the cool kids has another opinion. You know, that's that's the whole idea. Now, there are things about the that the administration has done wrong, and especially the CDC seems to have really screwed up when it comes to getting tests out quickly. And the tests are important, right? The tests are important because we can't go on like this. Obviously, these kids are so dumb, they're not going to stay indoors. But after a while, what did they say, 14 or 15 days? I think it's been seven or eight days. After a while, people are going to want to get back to work. They have to get back to work. You can't just shut down the entire country. That's not going to work. People won't do it. People will make their own decisions. So you've got to be able to have tests. You've got to be able to know who is sick in order to get them isolated and, of course, keep them away from me. Because the main thing we're all trying to, this is what we're all concentrating on, is saving the clavin. We want to keep me alive. So, you know, the, the tests are important. And, you know, it's, it's fine to say the government didn't get them out fast enough and all this stuff. But this stuff about finding any little way to get at Donald Trump, I mean, it is the act, it, you know, the, the people, Jim Acosta, Jim, look at me, I'm Jim Acosta, is no better than those kids. That is the kind of stupid, childish, selfish, uh, you know, unchanging idiocy that I would, could only expect, that I could only expect from a mainstream media reporter. And this thing again and again, I think four reporters asked Trump about, you're calling it the Chinese virus. One of them came up to Senator John Cornyn of Texas, and Cornyn really gave it to him. This is cut seven. Are you on board with the President calling 
China virus, Chinese virus. Does it seem like that that's helpful right now to call it that? That's where it came from. But is it helpful? It alienates people. It sort of sends like tones like that this, there's someone to blame. That there is a group of people to blame. Well, I think China is to blame because there the culture where people eat bats and snakes and dogs and things like that. These viruses are transmitted from the animal to the people, and that's why China has been the source of a lot of these viruses, like SARS, like MERS, the swine flu, and now the coronavirus. So I think they have a fundamental problem. So, so he's talking about eating bats and all this. Uh, Richard Engel on MSNBC, uh, he's defending the Chinese, and I, I'm telling you, some of these guys. I don't know if they have financial links to China. I don't know if it's just some kind of kooky left-wing uh, multiculturalism that's making him do this stuff. He's actually defending, uh, this is NBC News's chief foreign correspondent, okay, Richard Engel. He's been around for a long time. Listen to what he says. There was lots and lots of scapegoating uh, against an ethnic group or a religious group uh, whenever there were pandemics that affected the society and frightened a lot of people. And uh, China certainly feels that is what happened, what is happening now uh, with people calling it the, the Wuhan flu or the Wuhan virus or the, the China virus. This is a virus that came from the territory of China, but came from bats. This is a bat virus, not a, uh, a China virus. Uh, it doesn't speak Chinese. It doesn't target Chinese people. Uh, it targets human beings who happen to touch their eyes, nose or, or mouth. First of all, First of all, in a 2019 article, uh, Chinese experts, Chinese experts warned, quote, it was highly likely that future SARS or MERS-like coronavirus outbreaks will originate from bats. And there is an increased probability that this will incur where? In China. These are Chinese experts, right? In a 2007 journal article, infectious disease specialists published a study arguing that, quote, the presence of a large reservoir of SARS-CoV like viruses in horseshoe bats together with the culture of eating exotic mammals in southern China is a time bomb. The possibility of the reemergence of SARS and other novel viruses from animals or laboratories and therefore the need for preparedness should not be ignored. Stop eating bats. They're mammals. They're too much like us. It's easy to spread. Stop eating the bats. And they hang out in places, obviously, where they get sick. This was, That was uh, quoted in an article by Shadi Hamid, who I read his book. He's a good writer. He's not a conservative. He's just a kind of middle-of-the-road guy at the Brookings Institution, which is a left-leaning but not far-left organization. He's writing at The Atlantic. And he says, the evidence of China's deliberate cover-up of the coronavirus outbreak in Wuhan is a matter of public record in suppressing information about the virus, doing little to contain it, and allowing it to spread unchecked. In the crucial early days and weeks, the regime imperiled not only its own country and its own citizens, but also the more than 100 nations now facing their own potentially devastating outbreaks. More perniciously, this is still Shadi Hamid, more perniciously, the Chinese government censored and detained those brave doctors and whistleblowers who attempted to sound the alarm and warn their fellow citizens citizens when they understood the gravity of what was to come. China has a history of mishandling outbreaks, including SARS in 2002 and 2003, but Chinese leaders' negligence in December and January for well over a month after the first outbreak in Wuhan far surpasses those bungled responses. 
The end of last year was the time for authorities to act, and as Nicholas Kristof of the New York Times has noted, act decisively they did, not against the virus, but against whistleblowers who were trying to call attention to the public health threat. Those American critics who raise the racism canard are themselves inadvertently collapsing the distinctions between an authoritarian regime and those who live under it. That's the point, right? Too many also seem comfortable drawing moral equivalences between the Chinese regime and Donald Trump. This attitude is hard to take seriously. Trump didn't block the media from reporting on the coronavirus. He did not disappear his critics. The nature of a regime matters, and this is why I, for one, am glad to live in a democracy, however flawed in this time of unprecedented crisis that is in the Atlantic. No right-wing outlet. Shadi Hamid from the Brookings Institute. No light institution. No light left. No right-wing uh, think tank. And look again. You can criticize Trump for saying things, for saying, oh, it'll all disappear, though it will all disappear. It was it was not the right tone. Obviously, he, he always talks too fast. But ultimately, ultimately, the people who deal with the Trump administration and with the federal government find they are doing a good job. And this includes Gavin Newsom in California, who is so left he's left the planet. And Andrew Cuomo who is obviously no friend of Donald Trump. He said, I think this was yesterday, he said, despite his complaints, he's been finding the Trump administration very responsive. We can't build uh, new hospitals in 45 days. The federal government can be extremely helpful here. And we need the federal government's help. I had a conversation with the president yesterday. Uh, it was an open and honest conversation. We've always had a very good dialogue. Even when we don't agree, we've always had a very good dialogue. But the president and I agreed yesterday, look, we're fighting the same war. And this is a war. Uh, and we're in the same trench and I have your back, you have my back, and we're going to do everything we can for the people of the, of the state of New York. Uh, and the president agreed to that, and I agreed to that, and his actions demonstrate that he is doing that. So, and, and that's what's really happening. Here's the tone of the press, it's cut 10, I think. More people are sick in America tonight because Donald Trump is president. More people are dead and dying in America tonight because Donald Trump is president. This crisis seems to have been designed to bring out the worst of Trump. Do you think it's cost people their lives? When he's saying don't test people because then the number of cases will go up, I mean, that that's Chernobyl-level gaslighting. I mean, when coronavirus broke out in China, people said, this is China's Chernobyl. Actually, it's Donald Trump's Chernobyl. You've called this his Chernobyl. What the Iran hostage crisis was the yeah. final year of Carter's presidency. This may be Donald Trump's Katrina. Looks like a Hurricane Katrina moment. What happened to Katrina? That's where we are now. An event like this, just like with Katrina, I mean, you think back to Katrina, it does harken back to Katrina. They just can't stop themselves. But here is Trump's uh, response earlier today. You're actually sitting too close. You should really, we should probably get rid of about another 75, 80 percent of you. I'll have just two or three that I like in this room. I think that's a great way of doing it. <laughs> you know, yesterday he said, he said, you know, I've got nobody but me. You've got the, the Democrats have the press against me. I've got nobody but me. That's what I've been telling you all this time. He can handle it, but they should stop. It really is disgusting. All right. Let us talk about Ring, because at any moment, as you know, somebody could be creeping up on your house ready to steal your toilet paper and you don't, 
<laughs> don't want that to happen. You want Ring because it gives you protection at every corner and helps you create custom, affordable security for your home. Ring detects motion when people come onto your property, and Ring's video doorbell let doorbells let you answer the door and check in on your home anytime from anywhere right on your phone. Ring helps you stay connected to your home no matter where you are. So if there's a package delivery or surprise visitor or some guy trying to get at that toilet paper, you'll get an alert and be able to see, hear, and speak to them all from your phone. Just say, stay away from my TP. Get peace of mind knowing that your loved ones are safe and get a special offer on the Ring Welcome Kit when you go to ring.com slash Clavin. The Welcome Kit includes the Ring Video Doorbell too, which is great. I have that in Chime Pro. It's all you need to start building custom security for your home today. Just go to ring.com slash Clavin. That's ring.com slash Clavin. Anyone comes to your door, wherever you are, you can say, how do you spell Clavin? And if he knows, do not let him in. That is not the guy you want. It's K-L-A. It's K-L-A-V-A-N. All right. So I want to keep talking a little bit about uh, China. You know, I I, I obviously I make all these jokes about the Kung flu and the uh, and the flu Manchu and the yellow peril and all this stuff. I don't do race. I mean, this is one of the things I, I think that when you think about people in terms of race, I've never heard anybody say an intelligent thing about it that wasn't scientific. I'm, I'm not saying there are no scientific genetic differences between races. I'm just saying I've never heard anybody make a moral point that involved race, uh, except don't do it, that was worth anything, a moral point about human beings and race. That's why I make the jokes. I make the jokes because I know the press doesn't care. I know they couldn't care less. It is just a way of getting their crappy policies, their failed policies, past people by claiming, oh, if you don't like this, it's racism. If you think there's too much uh, government spending, it's racism. If you think people uh, should not be taught, uh, you know, gender study garbage in elementary school, it must be sexism. It's all about calling people names so they will shut up and not protest against your taking power. However, however, one of the reasons I believe so strongly in the, in the borders, one of the reasons I've come to believe in borders, is because uninhibited migration creates racism. Unbridled migration makes people intolerant in the same way that just before the Nazis came in, there was a huge influx of Russian Jews into Germany, Jews that were not of the class of the German Jews, and even the German Jews didn't like them. It's bad when such an influx come in that it comes in that it causes people to become intolerant. Do you think there's more tolerant or, tolerance or less tolerance toward Muslim people in Britain now than there was before Angela Merkel let them flood in? Uh, you know, in the old days, you had the kind of Lawrence of Arabia Orientalism mentality in Britain where they actually really... Uh, Uh, exalted and held up Muslim people, I'll bet a lot of that has gone now with all of this violence and all of the rape and all of the uh, silence that has had to be imposed on the British people because of that unbridled uh, immigration. It is not about race. None of this is about race. It is about the kinds of ideas that you come from and the kinds of ideas that run your government. And that's the thing that they're trying to silence. They're trying to silence the fact that our government, our government, our way of life is a good way of life. If there are other ways of life that are good, great. But this is the way of life that really has made us the richest, most powerful, freest, and most tolerant nation 
on the face of the earth, and this is the way of life that they hate. And, and there's just no doubting that they hate it. There is no doubting that when, they, when the New York Times puts out their 1619 project, it is at the heart, they are striking at the very heart of America. They are saying America is racist in and of itself, is racist per se. That's what they're telling you, and that's why when I say they are out to, to destroy this way of life by, by basically saying, hey, you know, you have no right to say your way of life is better than anyone else's. Our way of life is better than almost everyone else's. And that's what we're complaining about. We're not complaining, obviously, obviously about the Chinese people. Obviously, we're not complaining about Chinese Americans. No one is going out on the street, I hope, looking, at, looking to hurt Chinese Americans or Chinese people in general. It's the regime. It's the ideas. It's the fact that it's a communist country. You know, um, uh, Walter Russell Mead, this guy I like so much in the Wall Street Journal, he has a weekly column, but today he wrote an extra column today, kind of bemoaning the fact that China and America are not getting along, that China and America are at loggerheads. And the fact that we're at loggerheads hurts the economy, it hurts the world peace. It's obviously we're two big countries, the two biggest economies in the world. We shouldn't be at loggerheads. And Walter Russell Mead, again, no right-winger, no left-winger, just a great observer of the international scene, and he's traveled throughout China. And here's what he says. He says, China's rich culture, the brilliance of its thinkers, and the eager curiosity of its students are among the greatest treasures of the human race. Nothing could improve the world more than a strong U.S.-China partnership. Nothing is more dangerous for both countries and the world at large than a long and bitter rivalry. Like most Americans, I welcome the reforms of Deng Xiaoping and the prosperity they brought China. I hope that China's economic development would open a path to peaceful and gradual political reform. That's what we all hope for, right? That was some, something I was talking about, that if they have a free market, they're going to want free people. But as he goes on to say, hope is not always enough. A relationship's collapse is rarely the fault of only one partner, and Washington could have managed its China portfolio better over the past decade. But the heart of the problem is the Chinese Communist Party's refusal to grow with the times and accept a wider, more humane, and in the end, more sustainable vision of its relationship to Chinese society. Note the, uh, the two things he's talking about, the Chinese Communist Party and its relationship to the Chinese people. The party's compulsion to enforce a backward-looking conformity on a vibrant, educated population pushes it down a path of increasing repression and centralization of power, undermining Beijing's governance at home and frustrating its drive for respect and acceptance abroad. In a system, and this is what caused this problem, this is, you know, they're saying 95% of this virus spread could have been stopped if the Chinese government had just been a little bit more forthcoming. This is how he ends. He says, in a system where the party's wisdom and omnicompetence must always be acknowledged, a culture of sterility and conformism inevitably degrades decision-making. And as the world saw in Wuhan, it leads to grave errors. The culture of denial grows denser, as does the party's fear of independent voices and accurate information. Such a state, however imposing and powerful it appears, is a prisoner of its fears. A stronger, more confident government would fear criticism from foreign journalists, wouldn't fear. A stronger, more confident government wouldn't fear criticism from foreign journalists or foreign intellectuals. China's communists are very afraid. 
while Bernie Sanders is pushing communism on this country, and, you know, there's no point in talking about democrat socialism. First of all, this magic word democratic doesn't change socialism, right? It remains socialism. If you vote in slavery, you're still a slave. So that doesn't matter at all. But he's still pushing this this communism while all the world sees it failing every single place. When does that stop? And this is when I say we need new ideas. This is some of the stuff we need. I want to show you, this is why it's, it's ridiculous. You know, Marsha McCallan had Simone Sanders, a Bernie Sanders uh, spokesperson on, and she's pushing this stupid idea too because they've got nothing because Trump is doing a good job. As Andrew Cuomo said, he's doing a good job. So they got nothing but this nonsense. And here is Marsha McCallan just stopped her dead in her tracks as she was complaining about what Trump had said. Instead of pointing fingers, instead of talking about poll numbers, let's be serious. Let's, just talk let's about be serious for a second done. here. You know, the, the I, MERS I'm virus, MERS virus is, is, is M-E-R-S. Do you know, wait a minute. Do you know why it's called MERS? Why is it called MERS, that virus? You tell me, Martha, you brought because it up. Because it's called the Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome because that's where it originated. So this idea, you know, this, this sort of rabbit hole of, of, you know, getting into this whole issue of racism, I just think is so counterproductive to what we're, we're trying to do here. And I just talked to this amazing scholar on China moments ago who said absolutely China at the leadership level has tried to obfuscate and be com- everything, everything but transparent since the very beginning. They lied and lied and lied about this situation. This so why about, is it not Martha, okay to recognize where it originated? This isn't about... This is not about uh, if China has been forthright and forthcoming. The reality is... Yes, it is. Uh, That's exactly Chinese what it's about. You know, everything is about ideas. Everything is about ideas. Virtually nothing is about race. This is this is just a truth. When somebody's talking about race, unless the guy is a, like I said, a genetic scientist who has something to say, uh, unless he's a Charles Murray who has studied this stuff and has something to say, I'm, I'm not saying the races aren't different. I'm not saying they don't have different, you know, talents and abilities. I'm saying that they, everything you say about them morally in a, in a moral sense, everything you say about whether how they should be treated before the law is, is ridiculous. You just got to stop. You got to not do race, but you have to do ideas because it's ideas that shape everything. They shape everything. And so what we're talking, when we say the Chinese flu, first of all, we're calling it the Chinese flu because you call these things where they come from. I've heard, I didn't look this up, but I heard that on Wikipedia, they changed the name of the Spanish flu to gaslight us basically in real time. They changed the name of the Spanish flu so they could keep this narrative going about the Chinese flu. This is what people are worried about while people are dying. This is what the mainstream media is worried about while uh, the economy is crashing. This is what the mainstream media is worried about. While people are lying in hospital beds trying to breathe, they're worried about this, okay? But it's all about ideas. And the ideas of the Chinese Communist Party's are party, like all communist ideas, are done. They're done. The left has got to come up with some new ways to address the problems that they want to address. All right, we've got to take a break, but first let's talk about, you know, the Clavenless weekend is coming up, so we've got to make sure that you get as much Clavenly goodness as you possibly can, and one way to get that is on tonight's All Access Live. You should head over to dailywire.com and check it out. Uh, Jeremy Boring and Ben Shapiro kicked off Monday evening. Jeremy and Michael Knowles followed up on Tuesday night, so you can skip that. Matt Walsh was last night, and I'll be doing episode episode the rest of the week. They go in at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, and tonight 
tonight, I will be the one who is on. All Access Live is a lot more relaxed than our regular programming. It's less focused on bringing you news and information and more about hanging out at the end of a long day, especially now that we're all stuck on our couches. This show is actually intended for our All Access members, but in order to help us all feel a little less lonely, we accelerated the launch and opened it up to all of our Daily Wire members for the time being. So please let us know if you like the show and what you would like to see more or less of. Uh, you know, we already know that, but but let us know anyway. So if you're around at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific tonight, join me on the All Access Live show over at dailywire.com to watch the live stream and join the chat. We'll sit around and keep each other company uh, during this stressful time. Come on over to dailywire.com and subscribe. All right, talking about new ideas and things that have to change and things that have been revealed. Let's. I'm going to start with the left, but there's some stuff on the right as well. Uh, yeah, Bernie, Sa- I got to play this clip. This is hilarious. Bernie Sanders, uh, you know, had those three bad primaries, lost to Biden, uh, and he was asked if he's quitting the race. I think uh, Manu Rajou was after him uh, from CNN and somebody else. And it, it, you have to listen closely. But here's the exchange. Supporters have been on this flurry no, today. Can you say well, it to you? Some of said this just untrue. We sent out a statement. Uh-huh. What's your time frame? Are you going to stop with this? I'm dealing with a global crisis. You know, we're dealing with it. You're asking me these questions, right? You're running for president. Well, right now I'm trying to do my best to make sure that yeah. we don't have an economic meltdown mm-hmm. and that people don't die. Is that enough to you to I've, keep me busy for today? I've, <laughs> I'm dealing with it. It's like this cranky old man. But also, I mean, that's that's the temperament of a guy who's going to be elected president that it's ridiculous. I, but the thing the thing about the left, the thing about the left is it's not just the fact that they've got these two old men, one an old communist who hasn't changed his ideas, really hasn't changed his ideas since like Lenin got on the train. That's one. And the other is this guy who is just, I mean, he has lost it. He is losing it as we watch. His wife is leading him around, pulling him off stage when he's done. He doesn't know where he is half the time. He doesn't know what he's, he can't put an English sentence together. The reason those two, you know, a lot of people say, well, is it sexism? Is it sexism? Is it racism? That the two old white men don't do race. Don't do race. If you leave race out of it, you can see what it is. It's two old men because their ideas are old. They're talking about ideas that have failed every single place. And, you know, a lot of times they'll look around and they'll look at Denmark. They'll look at Scandinavia, basically. Oh, it's the gold standard. Scandinavia. Oh, it's so wonderful. And I, I think to myself, well, there's a lot of things wrong with this. I mean, Scandinavia is still a largely homogenous culture. And in a homogenous culture, everybody's kind of working together more. It's part of the, the difficulty of assimilation, right? Part of the difficulty of assimilation is bringing people from other races into your creed and under your umbrella and getting everybody to work together. It can be done, but it has to be done in a delicate ecosystem. It has to be done slowly. It has to be done allowing time for assimilation. That's why you control your borders, not to be a bigot, but to maintain a, a country that is less bigoted than any other. But in these homogenous countries where everybody looks exactly alike and is exactly alike and comes from the same culture and has the same history, it's easier for them to work together and not take advantage of welfare systems. That's one thing. But the other thing is while they're watching about, oh, how happy people are in Scandinavia, ask yourself some other stuff. Are they as creative as we are? Are they as rich as we are? Are they as powerful as we are? 
Can they defend themselves if, if Russia or China, for instance, invades? No, they're depending on us. They are living off our dime. They're living off our capitalism. When they pay less for health care, it's because we pay more for health care under our free system. So all these things that they point at are just not true, right? Just not true. And I'm not against having a safety net. I'm not one of these absolutists in any way. But clearly, clearly, when we look at what's surviving in this crisis, what's surviving? The gig economy. What's surviving? Amazon is doing well. Deliveries are doing well. Apps where you can uh, call for stuff online and say, you know, give me, I need some food. I need this. I need that. Those are the things that are doing well. Everybody on the left has tried to stop those things. In uh, California, they virtually have made some of these things illegal. The gig economy grew up in, the, in all, an almost black market that had to be, exist outside of regulations. All those licenses that they make taxi drivers get completely destroyed, became, completely became worthless when Uber started. So what do they do? They try to ban Uber. They try to not let Uber in the airports. Why not get rid of the system, the sclerotic system that wasn't working? It's capitalism that keeps things alive. We can see it now in front of our eyes. We can see it in front of our eyes. Now, on the other side, on our side, we, we need some new ideas too. You know, Donald Trump is a, a kind of eccentric guy, obviously, and a guy with flaws, and we've always talked about this, but, but in his eccentricity, he has seen some things in an original way that politicians, other politicians, didn't see. He saw that China was a problem. He saw that before anybody. He saw the border had to be addressed. He saw that before anybody. When Nobody wanted to address it because everybody else was afraid of being called racist because that's what they do, race, 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 because they don't want to talk ideas, 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 because their ideas stink, stink, stink. That's why. That's why they keep talking about race. Every time they open their mouth and say, you called it this instead of that, you're a racist, you're a sexist. It just means shut up, because if we talk about our ideas, our leftist ideas will fail. So Trump broke through that, and good for him. That's a wonderful thing that he did. What he didn't bring is he didn't bring a new philosophy to bear. And what's been happening, pardon me, what's been happening, the amazing thing that's been happening is just around his success, a new philosophy is growing up, a philosophy that is less concerned with old ideas on, on the Republican side than it used to be. You don't hear people really worrying as much about gay people. You don't hear them worrying as much about uh, racial questions and all this stuff. They just want to get things done. They're kind of modeling. Uh, it's a party now modeling itself on Trump's fixer mentality. The problem with a populist movement and we see this in California where they can vote on almost every law unless it violates political correctness and then the uh, courts strike it down your vote. But where you can vote on every law, people want everything, but they want to pay for nothing. That is the way large masses of people think. Remember men in black? Person is smart. Pardon me. A person is smart, but people are stupid. And that is one of the things that happens. That's one of the things that's happening with Donald Trump. Donald Trump keeps promising he's not going to cut entitlements. He's not going to cut um, Social Security. He's not going to cut Medicare. All these things he's not going to cut. We have to start reorganizing this stuff. Paul Ryan was right about this. It was conservatives who chased him out because he wasn't good on immigration. But they were wrong because Ryan was, A, a decent man, but also one of the few politicians to address the debt and address the need for reforming entitlements. Entitlements have gotten out of control and the debt has gotten out of control. And now you've got uh, uh, Donald Trump saying, well, we need a trillion dollar relief program for people 
uh, who are suffering from this thing. And maybe he's right. Maybe we do need a trillion dollar relief program. We certainly need relief in a big hurry because the economy is shut down and many people are suffering. But how many times are you going to be able to go to that well and get that trillion dollars if we're in debt forever? It's just not going to happen. Rand Paul, he virtue signals sometimes and sometimes he says things when you're just he's just spitting into the wind. But he made this speech talking about uh, his amendment to this, his useless and never to be had amendment to the spending bill. I rise in support of my amendment to pay for this economic stimulus package by removing less important spending from elsewhere in the budget. I would ask every American, if you were faced with a personal crisis and how to spend extra money, and you had to spend extra money on food and medicine, money that you had to borrow from a relative, wouldn't you prioritize your resources and immediately stop loaning money to friends overseas for their children to go to, for example, space camp? Wouldn't you stop funding clown colleges in Argentina? If you had a true emergency, like this pandemic, wouldn't you stop building roads and gas stations in Pakistan? If you had a true emergency like this corona pandemic, wouldn't you immediately stop spending money studying why drunk people fall down more than sober people? I ask my colleagues to stop wasting money in this time of crisis. Stop being a rubber stamp for wasteful spending. Yeah, well, that's not, not going to happen now. And there's no, you know, they keep saying there's no political appetite for it. But that's what leadership is about. We need leaders like Paul Ryan who are going to step on this third rail of, of politics. You know, Christopher Caldwell has a spectacular piece in the Claremont Review of Books, uh, this this issue, which I think is already online, talking about really giving it to Ronald Reagan and talking about the fact that Reagan deepened the debt in this country in order to pay off the pay the money for uh, Lyndon Johnson's great society while stimulating the economy. So in other words, cutting taxes was the right thing to do. And the economy was so bad then. It was so bad. I can remember it. There were gas lines. There was inflation. There was stagnation. There was everything going wrong. Reagan had to act. He did act. He cut taxes. He made uh, a revolution, an economic revolution. But he didn't reform entitlements. He himself said this was a failure, a failure to cut uh, the size of government. And because of that, we started on this road of debt where everything is great until everything is not great. And that's the thing. The debt, it's just like if you borrowed it. For a while, you'd be flush. You'd be living high off the hog. Everything would be great. But eventually, eventually the bill comes due. And we have got to start talking about this on the right again. I know a lot of people love Trump. And I know Trump is doing a, has been doing a really good job in a lot of ways. But this is something that somebody's got to get to him about, especially if he wins re-election, which God, let's hope he does. <laughs> All right. A final reflection, a final reflection. I have to talk about this. I, I got to play a couple of things. You know, I, I, in my uh, memoir, The Great Good Thing, I talk about a, one of the truly dark periods in my life uh, early on in my 20s had a very very dark period of my life and really came terribly terribly close to ending it all it's just a terrible moment uh that thank god has everything has gone the other way since really that that moment and one of the things that really helped me was something that a, a baseball player that i admired uh jimmy carter uh, Jimmy Carter, Gary Carter of the New York Mets, something he just happened to say that w spoke into my uh, into my despair and lifted me up and lifted me out of it. And that was a perfect example. I wrote a piece about it also in The Wall Street Journal about how that was a perfect example of the use of celebrity, because celebrities, whether they like it or not, 
are role models. So I played at the beginning of this. I played some kids talking about how they were going to party uh, no matter what. Here's Cardi B, okay, who is a role model to people, right? Here's this rap singer, Cardi B, talking about social distancing. I need to know what's going on. If you work at the Pentagon, let a bitch know, because I need to know. I need to know. I don't know if you could tell, but I'm losing my mind. I want to get dressed up. I want to put a lace front on. I want to put my expensive outfits, and I want to go out. <laughs> so that's that is the role model that we have. And here are celebrities getting together to do the one thing, the one thing that we needed. You know, we really needed one thing. We needed to hear celebrities without makeup on singing Imagine. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us. Above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. Yeah. Uh, we're with a pet hospital down the street, and I understand you have a dying animal on the premises. <laughs> Just what, you know, what we need is celebrities singing an atheist socialist song just when we need capitalism and God. These are the worst role models who have ever lived. We're doomed, but we're doomed anyway because the Clavenless weekend has come. Not if you get all access today. I'll also be answering uh, Ask Me Anything questions uh, for subscribers in just a few minutes around 11 o'clock Pacific. But after that, the rest of you will be plunged into darkness where there will be great wailing and gnashing of teeth. Survivors, if there are any, gather here on Monday. I'm Andrew Claven. This is The Andrew Claven Show. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, give us a five-star review and also tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Matt Wall Show, and The Michael Knoll Show. Thanks for listening. The Andrew Clavin Show is produced by Robert Sterling and directed by Mike Joyner. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Technical producer, Austin Stevens. And our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Assistant director, Pavel Wydowski. Edited by Adam Saevitz. Audio mixed by Robin Fenderson. Hair and makeup is by Jessua Alvera. Animations are by Cynthia Angulo. Production assistants, McKenna Waters and Ryan Love. The Andrew Claven Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. If you prefer facts over feelings, aren't offended by the brutal truth, and you can still laugh at the insanity filling our national news cycle, well, tune in to The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get a whole lot of that and much more. See you there.